If you're still eating your breakfast, please continue to enjoy your breakfast quietly. Hello, hello. Can we have the serenity prayer, please? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. One sure way to get a room of compulsive overeaters quiet. Okay, I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, our speaker this morning is someone who's really special to me, and I'm really honored to be able to introduce her and uh, have her share her story with you. I know that you'll find her story um, inspirational as I do, and please help me in giving a really warm welcome to Rebecca B. from Berkeley. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have all this paraphernalia. Hold on. Don't start my time yet. I realized as I was writing last night, I was like, God, 40 minutes isn't that long. Okay, so first of all, um, I am not a morning person. And uh, my current food plan does not include coffee. So, um, and I thought about coming in my pajamas, but um, my sponsor told me I should, like, look nice. And my pajamas are pretty cute. So, so is my down comforter, but still. So, um, um, I came into program uh, when I was just turned 18 years old, um, and that was in 1989. And I'm 35 years old now. And um, that was in Los Angeles, and um, and I've been abstinent for over 16 and a half years. Um, my weight has, uh, I was probably, and I don't, my disease um is as much between my ears as it is um, on my body. And that's a really important thing for me. But my weight when I came in was probably about 20 pounds more than I am now. But I also have um, gone up and down even being abstinent. And that is part of my story. And it has to do also with um, physical illness that I've gone through, and I'm going to talk about that as part of my story because that's a big part of my story. Um, so there's a couple of themes that are going to run through, and hopefully they will run through because, you know, that was my plan, but who the hell knows what I'm going to talk about. And, um, you know, sometimes I hear people talk and say, excuse me for my bad language, and they say hell, and I'm not going to excuse myself, but I say things like fuck. So on tape. Um, so things that, you know, are really true for me in my program are things like willingness to go to any length. Um, 
trudging the road of happy destiny, and I emphasize the trudging part. Um, spiritual crisis, and the other flip side of spiritual crisis are things like um, if I wait, if I don't pick up the food, it's spiritual awakening or sort of spiritual gifts and gratitude. And gratitude was like one of those really bad fucking words when I came into the room. I heard people talk about gratitude, and I thought they were like part of the Wizard of Oz, you know, like who the hell are these weirdos, you know, and what drug are they on? Um, and rigorous honesty and rigorous honesty about who I am. And, um, and these are all things that I would not have any clue about without you guys, a higher power, and the steps and the tools of the program. I didn't do any of this myself. Um, so what it was like, hold on. I'll probably spill this down my front at some point. I get to the program as I totally can laugh at myself. And I'm fine when other people laugh at me, too. So um, what it was like is I come from a family of compulsive overeaters. Um, my grandparents are compulsive overeaters. My grandfather, um, you know, he would be happy with a diet of cheese, chocolate, and cognac. Um and my dad is a compulsive overeater, and I grew up in a household where it was pretty much like an alcoholic. You didn't know if you were going to come home to Mr. Nice Guy who was happy or, um, you know, an asshole who would hit you. And, um, you know, he just basically would – his idea of a diet is not eating all day and then, like, binging at night. And that entire family – I have a divorced family – and their idea of a food plan is coffee for breakfast, frozen yogurt for lunch, and wine for dinner. And, um, and then their freezer is full of, like, all of the fancy chocolates that they've been given for, like, holidays. And then one of the relatives owns a moose factory. And it's full of these cakes. And everybody sort of sneaks out to there and eats them, you know, in secret. And um, But, like, my stepmom's anorexic. My sister had a gastric bypass surgery at age 21. And your worth is your weight. And my stepmom will say to my sisters, your life would, act would be better if you were this much, if you weighed this much. And I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, I really feel like that played a huge role in, you know, reinforcing what I already thought, that my life would really be better if I weighed less. And I, you know, when I was teeny, four years old, it was like, well, first of all, my first word after mama and dada was cook, cook. You know, it was cookie. And then it was like, if I, when I was four years old, it wasn't like I was, like, wanted a cookie. I sold the whole bag, you know. I sold the whole bag of cookies. And then I was, like, shoplifting at six cookies, 
you know, like candy, because we just didn't do it. And on my mom's side of the family, I had my dad's side. On my mom's side of the family, my brother and my mom were teeny skinny and, like, had to work to keep weight on. And my mom would, like, hide a chocolate bar and forget where it was for three years. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You know, I'd find it. And she, or, like, she'd be, like, she'd be doing stuff in the kitchen. She's kind of, like, an artist and spacey. And she'd be like, oh, I forgot about this. And I'm like, are you fucking nuts? So, and, you know, I also had a very sexually inappropriate father. And so at, eight, at puberty, it was like I used food and gaining extra weight to hide my body. And that's when the disease also went really into my head as well. And I hated my body, hated it. And um, and I started compulsive dieting and binging, just com- binging and starving and wanted to just lose weight. And that was the key to the answer. But then it was like I'd lose weight and I'd have this body and I'd get attention from either him that was inappropriate or from guys, and it would freak me out. So I'd get down to that goal weight, and I'd just, for a second, and then boom, I'd just head right back up. And it was the compulsive weighing, like a 100 times a day. I mean, I'd blow my nose, and I'd get on the scale. You know, I was like, mucus has to weigh something. And, um, and you know, it was like, Birthday presents to myself would be like, I'm going to go to the diet center. That's a great birthday present for me for six, being 16 years old. And, um, you know, it was, it was like I would spend all this time getting ready to go to camp and, um, or I was, went to Israel for a summer and I'd get down 20 pounds and I'd spend my summers binging my way through you know, Israel, you know, just like binging my way. And so those teeny tiny jeans that I'd gotten into, at the end I was like lying on the bed. And I was in a foreign country. I didn't have any other clothes to wear. I just had the clothes that I brought. And I was like shoving myself into these clothes because I couldn't couldn't fit into anything else. And, um, And the other thing about this, though, is that, you know, people talk about the food having worked in some way. How am I doing on time? This was supposed to be 10 minutes. Okay, good. That's perfect for this piece. People talk about the food having worked in some way, that it was an escape somehow, that it blocked out. It did one thing. I didn't have feelings. When somebody asked me how I felt, the best I could come up with was self-hatred. I wanted to mutilate my body. I wanted to cut parts of my body off. I wanted to cut my thighs apart. When somebody asked me how I felt about my dad, the best I could come up with was I wanted to cut my thighs off. I wanted to, you know, but it was never an escape. It never, I never could get away from that self-hatred. I never planned a binge. I never went to the grocery store and bought my binge food, but I binged like crazy. What happened was, is I binged on the shit that was in my house. I stole food from people. I was a camp counselor. 
I was great at stealing up care packages from my campers, from other people. Thank you. Um, it was never, ever pleasurable. I never got any joy from it. I always hated myself. And I always hated doing it. And I actually, in some ways, am grateful for that because I feel like maybe it's some of the reasons I hit my bottom when I did is because I was in so much pain and I was so depressed about it and I was um, suicidal about it. And, um, and people saw it. People saw it. People saw it in my family. And um, the man, and this is what happened. Um, there was a man who was essentially part of my family. It, my family is kind of funky. And um, in a good way. This is the good part of my family. Um, the family that hides chocolate bars and forgets about them. And um, he came to paint our house and essentially moved in with our family. And... Uh, and... Uh, and he uh, saw what I was doing with food because it just wasn't – I couldn't hide it anymore. And it was like, you know, doing a diet and, you know, the diet center thing where if you didn't lose a pound in a day and you had to eat five potatoes before lunch and then um, an apple for dinner. Um, no, five apples and then a raw potato for dinner. And, you know – I I was a bitch on those days. I was a bitch on lots of days, but I was a real bitch on those days. And and then I would just freak out. Somebody ate my rice cakes or I ate an extra rice cake. And I also was doing crazy compulsive exercising. You know, I ate an extra rice cake. So out I went to ride up the highest, you know, crazy compulsive exercising. So he was like, Rebecca, there's something for you. And he was in program. And uh, he told me about OA. And, um, and he, uh, he died when he was 35 of AIDS. And, um, and I feel like it's, some people might think it's morbid, but I'm 35. And I feel like I want to dedicate this share to him because um, I feel that's another reason I feel like I got here when I was so young is because he was a part of my life, and um, and I feel like he's one of my angels, and um, and he saw what I was doing, and he was cool, you know, and uh, and I feel like he's looking down on me, and he'd be like, he'd even think what I'm wearing is cool, you know. He was a queen, and he uh, he took me shopping for both my prom dresses, and they were hot, so. Not many people in my life had, like, total queens who took them shopping for both their prom dresses. So I went to my first meeting in Los Angeles, and I was a senior in high school. And um, I thought you guys were weird. And, um, and didn't talk to anybody. I cried, though. I cried. And I cry when something gets, you know, it's real. And um, so I knew I was home, but I, I wasn't going to talk to anybody. I think the smallest person in the room, maybe I talked to her. She was probably a size zero. 
which was, you know, that's why I was going. And, um, and, oh, you got up and you held hands and you said some prayer. And I didn't know what God was or what I was. And, um, and then I heard shit like, don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar. And I was a compulsive dieter and, so I went out, I went to one meeting a week. I would not recommend this. I didn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't recommend this. Um, welcome to the newcomer. This is not the way to do the program. Um, and I went out and um, didn't eat sugar. I did it like this. I didn't eat sugar. And I went to the gym and exercised for an hour and a half to two hours every day. And um, it went okay. And then I went to camp for the summer and proceeded to eat all of my camper's care packages. And, um, and it was really fucking painful. And when I went, I came up to go to UC Berkeley. That's five. Shit. Oh, this is good. This is what happened. Yeah, this is good. Okay. So, um, I have 10 minutes on this part, right? Okay, good. Part of learning about your character defects and releasing them is knowing what they are. Um, so, um, control freak. Um, so, I came up to UC Berkeley and it was, and Mark, my guy said, get to a meeting. And this was part of the willing to go to any lengths. And, you know, like a doofus, not like a doofus, like an addict. I, of course, didn't know there were meetings like five feet away from my dorms. So I walked, you know, what seemed like forever, because I didn't have a car, to a meeting. And um, got to a meeting my first week. Then I realized there were meetings across the street from my dorms. And I was so unbelievably blessed because at that time, when I was a freshman at Berkeley, there were meetings across the street from campus pretty much every day from 12 to 1. And there was a group of us that were all pretty much freshmen at Berkeley. And I got a sponsor. And I have to tell you, newcomers, anybody, this is how to work the program. This is what changed my life. This is how I got to God. This is what going to any length was. This is what honesty was about. I got a sponsor, and I was like, I guess I did what she said to do, you know? Um, and, you know, I got a sponsor. And the reason, one of the things was she came in when she was 16, and that was really amazing that there was somebody like that for me. And I got a sponsor that I thought wasn't perfect. And that was really important because if she wasn't perfect, then I knew that I had a chance. Because if I, the first sponsor I got actually looked like the girls I went to high school with. And for me, and this is not a, judgment toward anybody out there but for me it was hard because she was blonde hair blue eyed and like a size two 
And I grew up on the beach in Los Angeles. And I'm Jewish, and I'm never going to blonde hair, blue-eyed, size two, and get into a bikini and go rollerblading in Venice, you know, and look like that. You know, and that's what I thought I was supposed to be. And, um, and so when I was new, that was really important. And I started calling my food in. And um, it was the same thing every day, but it was like I was turning something over. And she started me working the steps. And, you know, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And the first time I made amends, you know, I made amends to my stepmom for, like, stealing her eyeshadow when I was, like, in eighth grade or something. And, you know, my amends later in my program have been really, really different. But but I was starting to work this program. And... And But she did things like she took me grocery shopping, you know. And when I told her what I was eating at first and it looked like a Weight Watcher plan, she was like, hmm, maybe you need a little more food, you know. And, and nobody had ever done that. Nobody had ever spent, you know, time with me every day talking to me like that. Nobody, you know, when I did my fifth steps, Nobody ever listened to me like that and, like, said, oh, yeah, I've done that, too. I've done that, too. Every single time, I do inventory all the time. Every single time I do inventory, my sponsor, the person I read it to, they're like, yep, I do that, too. I'm like, it's amazing the shit people in here do. I'm like... I should just come up with some weird story and see if somebody's done it, you know? So, um, uh, let me just look for a second. Um, oh, hi. Here's a big one. Okay. So, I'm going to talk about spiritual crisis for a little bit. Things are kind of hunky-dory. And, um... Two years into my program, abstinence, um, I got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I was 20. And um, kind of have to uh, think about a higher power when that happens, or at least I did. And um, one of the things that is true for me is that Beyond my wildest dreams is defined for me in things like, definitely in things like that I'm alive, that I'm standing here, that I got through something like that abstinently. And, you know, I don't have a higher power that makes sure that I don't get things like brain tumors. Um... I don't believe in that kind of higher power. There's no way that I can. And, um, and you know, I was really pretty newly abstinent. And I had to do things like call the hospital and say, don't put ice cream on my plate. And the night before my surgery, I had lobster and, like, sautéed vegetables, 
on from the hospital. And um, and one of the gifts that I've been given in program is um, is how to ask for help. And it's really that's a willing to go to any lengths for me. And um, and man, I've had to work that one so much harder than I ever thought I'd have to work it. And um, and you know, after I had the surgery, I come from part of my family where my dad said, "Oh yeah, people have the surgery and they go back to work in ten days." And um, and so I had the surgery over Christmas break and went back to school as a junior, and um, and then did that semester and then went back to school and decided to be pre-med, and then um, basically flipped out and needed to withdraw from school, and. That was terrifying. It was terrifying. And I don't know what I would have done without this program, without the steps, without the support, without the meetings, without a sponsor. And, you know, it's like through it all, I was able to remain abstinent and have um, have the support of these rooms. Um, how am I doing on time? Um, in 2000, I, and this is also about, you know, one of the things that the steps have done for me is, you know, it's like people talk about the peeling of the onion and you get to a place where you have to get more and more honest about who you are. And part of my being more and more honest about who I am, being a, I'm a compulsive overeater. I also have this chronic illness, and part of it is surrounded about my migraines. I mean, my brain surgery, I have chronic migraines, and they're incredibly debilitating, and I've needed to make big decisions about them, and they affect um, my food as well. And um, I went to graduate school in 2000, and... um, and I needed to make a decision, and I made a decision to go away from Berkeley, thanks, to Connecticut, to go to graduate school in Connecticut, because they were going to be more helpful in working with me with my migraines. And I had to make a decision to leave my fellowship where I'd been for 11 years and had supported me for 11 years of abstinence. And... Um, and I was terrified because I didn't want to leave you guys. I didn't want to. My sponsor was here. Um, my friends were here. My meetings were here. You know, I thought my abstinence was here. 
you know, how the hell was I going to do it? I'd been to meetings all over the country, all over the world, but I traveled for four months in Europe. I remained abstinent. But I didn't want to go to Connecticut, you know? All they do is eat pizza there. And they call their sandwiches grinders, and they don't have, like, And they really don't, you know, like, it was a totally new thing to go there. And, you know, if any of you know, I mean, I grew up in Southern California, and I know we have lots of people, we do have people from outside the area, but I grew up in Southern California, I've been in Northern California, and the produce we have here, oh, my God, we are spoiled. And, um, but I... I had to go. That voice inside of me was like, this is what you have to do to take care of yourself. And I had to fucking go to OA meetings that I thought sucked. And they didn't do it my way. And what I had to do, and I had the most amount of time, you know, too. I had the most amount of time of abstinence. But I had to go. Because if I didn't go, I was going to lose it. And I had to go because my sponsor said I was being of service. And I had to go, and then I had to get on the phone with my sponsor. And you know what? Get a good goddamn long-distance plan, you know? And that's what I did. I had a really good long-distance phone plan. And, And I kept my sponsor. I did. I kept my sponsor, and some people might have done it differently, but I've had my sponsor. I saw my sponsor at a day in OA in Oakland, and she spoke on the 12th step, and she had – can I reveal my sponsor, Dana Newman? No. Okay. She had, like, an eons of time in program, and I just called her. She didn't even know who I was. And I called her, and I said, will you be my sponsor? And that was, like, in 1999, and she's been my sponsor ever since. And um, and I kept her while I was in Connecticut. I was like, I guess, you know, whatever. I was like, she's going to be my sponsor. So, um, and I stayed abstinent while I was in Connecticut, in the fucking freezing-ass snow, going to those goddamn meetings. <laughs> where... They were fighting, you know, like the groups were still fighting about like, I mean, I would have people at meetings who were like, um, they were fighting about whether or not the OA literature was okay. You know, they would like, (laughs) newcomers would come to a meeting and there would be people who afterwards would bash the OA literature. And I'd be like running up to the newcomers being like, let me save you. That's really helpful. Um, so I want to talk for the last how many minutes? Twelve. Shit. Okay. I want to talk about what's been going on in the last year. I'm 35. I'm 30. How many times have I said that? So. I thought that by the time, and I have my own personalized tissues, they say R on them. One of my closest friends got them for me. I guess she thought I cried a lot. 
And it's really cool. This is a friend who we went to junior high together and uh, were probably in the throes of our disease and didn't know it. And then we ran back into each other in the rooms, and she came in, and I would chase her down, and she would run away from me. People do that a lot. I'm the young people greeter, and I've been chasing young people all over the conference, and they're, like, probably running from the rooms. Um, So I'm 35, and, you know, what I think that I'm supposed to have when I'm 35 is a husband, kids, a house, job those are the main things a yard I don't know everything the Joneses have I don't have a dog a couple of dogs maybe a cat flowers in my I have flowers I don't have any of those. I thought those were the things that were beyond my wildest dreams. I have things that are so much more beyond my wildest dreams. And it's that I'm alive. Um, In the last year, I was let go from my job because I was too sick to be able to be there. Um, I went to a clinic in Michigan and was inpatient for three weeks because I had such severe migraines, which feel like a giant vice being, you know, like an alien squeezing your brain. While I was in the clinic, I went by myself I found families who were going to the Whole Foods that were like a half an hour away to bring me food. There were AA meetings in that hospital that I got to. Um, I remained abstinent. I couldn't get to meetings because I was in so much pain. Um, I couldn't read because it hurt too much. I couldn't write because it hurt too much. I had to let my sponsees go because I just couldn't be available. My sponsor stuck with me. Um, I got OA stuff on tape. I got the steps on tape. I had friends who came over and brought me food. I was nauseous like 24 hours a day. I had three friends in program who came over and basically did an intervention. And this is program stuff because I stayed abstinent. And, uh, and, uh, and, and this was a spiritual crisis because I had to, again, figure out where the fuck my higher power was, and it was through you guys. I had three program friends come over and basically do an intervention, 
because I was living by myself and say, you need to go live with your mom. And if this program has done anything, living with your mom for four months. (laughs) And I had to go to Ashland, Oregon. (laughs) You know, and I went kicking and fucking screaming, you know. I didn't want to, oh, I have tissue. I don't need to use my hands. It's like, I have a fork. I don't need to use my hands. The fact that I have humor while I'm crying, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, people are like, oh, my God, are you okay? You're crying. And it's like, I'm fabulous. You know, I am. It's like I can be like, I have a fucking huge migraine, and I'm great. And I am. And, uh, and, uh, and I was in bed for 20 hours a day with plywood on the windows because the light was, I think, was too much for me to take. And, um, and I had to change everything. I had to change everything fucking thing. I had to change how I looked at God fucking again, you know? And I thought I was on the fourth step, and my sponsor was like, no, baby, you're back on step. I was back on step zero, but I was back on step one, and then I was back on step two. And I found God again through you guys and through people who helped me. And I was able to do living amends again with my mom and thank her for helping me and see what a great, amazing woman she was for helping me at age 35. <laughs> and, uh, and also, you know, this disease was still there. I had to weigh myself like daily because I was getting so dehydrated. I was losing so much weight. And I had people on the outside look at me and say shit like, God, you're so gorgeous when you're skinny. And I wanted to kill them. I wanted to punch them because I couldn't control that I just was, like, losing all this weight because I couldn't eat very much because I was just throwing up all the time. And I was saying shit to my mom, like, please just let me go. Because I just didn't know, like, when it was going to end. And um, and it turned around, like, on my birthday, on my 35th birthday. (laughs) And, uh, And I had this willingness, you know, on fucking people in Ashland telling me how to eat, you know? how to eat, what to eat, this is going to cure you. And, you know, I've eaten lots of ways in program, and right now I eat like four grains. I mainly eat salmon. It's the narrowest path I've been on, but it's, I'm willing. I'm willing to go to any length. I have to. And it's rigorous honesty. I have to go to bed on time. I don't always. (laughs) I have to meditate. 
That is so hard for me. 17 years, and that is so hard for me. But I have to. I don't have a choice. My body is just telling me I have to. And I'm just beyond my wildest dreams that I can, that I'm doing this. And I'm here. I can walk up and down my stairs. I wasn't leaving my apartment. That I'm back in Berkeley. That I'm eating. You know? That I'm at this conference. And I knew, you know, one of the biggest things is that hope at the end of the tunnel, you know. And I didn't really have that in the midst of this last illness. And people, other people had it for me. And I have this little, I don't know, plastic, total, whatever it is, you know, artificial crap. But it's awesome. It's got a little star in it and it says hope and a program person gave it to me. And I had it, thanks, with me in the hospital and I carry it with me and other people carried my hope. And I knew if I got through this, I knew if I, if I got through this, that I would have so much to give and to share. And I didn't know that ever before. I never thought I would have stuff to give and to share. And I know, I mean, you know, this may sound braggart, but I'm like, God, I could conquer the world, you know. But I just know I have so much to give and to share. You know, I feel like the migraines fucking get in the way. And I have a sponsee again now, you know. And I just have to be honest. You know, some days I can't. Some days I have to lie in bed and put on the meditation tape. But some days I'm here and I can show up and tell my story. And it's because of you guys. And I just want to end with one of my favorite readings. Um, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. around everybody. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Yeah, keep an extra piece out there for me, would you please? (laughs) I used up all the ones I had in my pocket. Um, Thank you all for coming to the breakfast. Don't forget that we have our closing at 10, and if you have silent auction items to pick up, you can get those in the back of the... um, 
next door, right? That's where our clothing is, right next door. <laughs>